Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. Fantastic to be here. Last Sunday, I was in Shanghai at our church there in China, and uh, which is great. The time before, when I was at the church in China, um, we were one congregation meeting in a hotel uh, sort of conference here type area, uh, but the government has uh, clamped down on churches in China, and uh, so now we meet in six different locations. What was a uh, uh, I guess seemed to be uh, a harsh thing is now a blessing. And uh, so not only with six congregations, but raising up uh, multiple leaders, especially some great young leaders coming through. And so it was very exciting to see on a Saturday, uh, Chris and I um, did some training with the leaders. And then on Sunday, we sort of split out and uh, some of the groups joined together and we met with uh, different parts of the church there in Shanghai. So very exciting. A few months ago, a group of us went to Israel. First time we had been to Israel, and we saw sites where uh, Jesus was supposedly crucified and uh, supposedly buried, and you know, really ornate religious type uh, places, and far removed, really, from uh, I guess uh, reality. And yet, there were flocks of people there looking at it, and you know, I can appreciate the architecture and and, and things like that. The churches were nice, but. Really, I, I didn't get really excited about those places. They, uh, they were like religious uh, monuments that don't really relate to the events of, of the Bible, and, and uh, they, they're just sort of religious places. But um, there were some things that, that really did interest me. Um, you know, walking around Jerusalem, you say, well, you're not exactly walking where Jesus walked because where Jesus walked was like about... Uh, you know, 10 metres below where you were walking because the city has been destroyed and rebuilt uh, a, a number of times. Uh, but there were other places where um, biblical events happened. Uh, like we stopped the bus at one point and went down uh, to a, a riverbed where David would have picked up stones when uh, he was uh, slaying Goliath. So I got myself a stone uh, out of the riverbed there, you know, that uh, probably something like that David would have got that he would have killed Goliath with. And uh, then we went to like a muddy creek, which was probably the area where Jesus uh, was baptized. And then on a boat trip out on the Sea of Galilee and then floated on the Dead Sea. Like that was awesome. I love those sort of uh, places. I, I hate religion. Like it covers truth. It, it clouds reality. I watch supposedly uh, Christian festivals on TV where they're in these ornate places and you know, these guys all dressed up in dresses and sprinkling incense and, and mumbling away in Latin and all that stuff. Really, I hate all that religious stuff. And um, I, I think like, sometimes wouldn't it be great just to get right back to the simplicity of the early church, get right back to where the church was birthed before uh, all of the traditions and all of the man-made stuff and all the religious stuff that's been added to it over the centuries happened. Just go right back to the very big basis uh, of the simplicity of the gospel. And that's really what the series that we're having right now is about. It's going back to the simplicity of the early church. And so you've got your notes there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who were being saved. These five verses really give to us the infancy, the birth of the early church. Uh, Jesus had died. He was buried. He ascended into heaven. Uh, The day of Pentecost came. 3,000 were added to the church on the uh, day of Pentecost. And and so uh, the uh, church then was birthed. And we can learn from these uh, infant stages when the church was pure when they didn't have 2,000 years of religion of man's thoughts and man's corruptions and man's ideology and traditions just smothering and perverting the word of God. You know, what can we learn from it? And I just want to focus just on one aspect out of these verses today. And it says, They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, the Bible is a picture book. It's written in parables, types, prophecies, visions, dreams. Uh, the Bible speaks of things like corn and, and, and wine and vines and fig tree and gold and silver and wind and lamps and many other sort of uh, picture things like that. Say, why? Why is the Bible written in pictures? Well, the reason is very simple. It's because the Bible is not just a history book that is talking to our heads, but the Bible is a living book which is talking to our hearts or talking to our spirits. The word heart and spirit is interchangeable in Scripture, so the Bible is talking to our spirits, and our spirits operate on pictures. You know, we very uh, quickly forget communication in words. Uh, we hear something and like that great sermon that Pastor Steve preached last week. Uh, within three days, you have forgotten 95% of it. That is a de- depressing statistic for a preacher. That is terrible. But you remember the stories. You remember the, pritch- uh, the pictures. You, re- you remember the jokes, you know, hopefully. You, know, you remember those sort of things. And, and because our spirit operates on pictures. And so I want to talk about communion today. Communion is a picture of Jesus' death. And so how should we observe communion? Why, when, where, and how, what is it? We've made some changes in the church here to communion recently. Uh, Are those changes that we have made biblical? And uh, obviously what we want to do is biblical. I grew up in a church really where the communion service or the Lord's Supper or gathering around the Lord's table, it was like the major service every week. It was held at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Why 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning? I do not know. It is probably because it goes back to earlier days where farmers had to go and milk their cows and then get ready and get to church. And so 11 o'clock was an appropriate time to have a church service. Now it became the holy hour. Like at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, that was communion. Nothing could change that. It was a service that was totally geared to believers. It was not really relevant uh, to unbelievers, but it was very meaningful, a very relevant service to those that had faith in Jesus Christ. But then some of our churches, you know, they... uh, Or back in those days, we used to have... uh, um, Uh, Sunday night was what we called a gospel service because that was a service that was geared to unbelievers. Uh, But unfortunately, with the advent of television, and I can remember days before television, some of you can't, but some of us can, there was a time before television, and uh, once television came, Sunday night gospel service no longer worked. People stayed home and watched television instead of coming to church. And, and, And so there was some enterprise in some people that thought perhaps the best time to reach unchurched people would be on Sunday morning. 
And so instead of having 11 o'clock believers service, communion service, they changed and had a 10 o'clock family service. That caused a major eruptions in the church. People were not happy with that. You know, communion had become a tradition at 11 o'clock Sunday morning. There were people that would drive past a church that had 10 o'clock family service to drive many miles to another church that had 11 o'clock communion service uh, because that was the holy hour. It had become a tradition. It was not necessarily biblical. See, this passage that we've read here, it probably refers to just a regular meal that uh, they had in that day. They shared their meals together. And at some point, bread and wine, which were common things on the table of a Middle Eastern home, they would take the bread, they would take the wine, they would break it, and they would remember what Jesus had done. It was a picture reminder for them. Today, the Christian church takes communion. What is communion? The word communion translated in the King James Bible from the word koinonia, uh, which means partnership, participation, uh, it, it, it is sort of social intercourse, it is fellowship. Fellowship is the key word when it comes to communion. It was a fellowship of believers. It was a gathering of believers where they came together and they remembered the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when the early Christians, when they sat down with family or they sat down with friends around the meal time in their home, they would stop, they would break bread, and they would give thanks. It was a picture reminder of what Jesus had done. The background to communion was the Passover feast. And the Passover really is the most celebrated of the Jewish feasts. And it points back to the time when they came out of Egypt as a nation. They were captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And so they came out of Egypt and into their new land, the promised land. And so the Passover was a celebration of spring. Uh, it was uh, a birth, a rebirth, a journey from slavery to, to freedom. And uh, the Jewish people, when they were in Egypt in captivity, uh, they were told that they were to take a lamb, they were to kill it, they would take the blood of the lamb, they were to put it on their doorposts across the lintel, and when the angel of death passed over, the angel of death would see the blood and would pass over it and spare that house. Those that didn't have the blood, the firstborn was killed. And so Jesus here, he gives us instructions to his disciples to prepare the Passover, which was the last Passover that he was going to have with them. And he wanted to use the feast as a picture that they would remember about his coming death. So you see that in Luke chapter 22 and verse 13. It says, they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the bread, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jesus, he's, 
He's going to take this last meal, this last Passover with his disciples before his death. And, and, and Jesus is talking here about the shedding of blood and the Passover lamb. And he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. He's saying to them, look, there are some events that are going to happen over the next couple of days. There are some things that you will not understand. It looks like everything is going wrong. Looks like the end, you know, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed, the, the, the stuff that is going to happen. But he's saying to them, he said, when you take bread and wine, he said, I want these to be symbolic things. He said, he said when you take them, he said, remember what I'm saying now. What I'm saying now will all of a sudden make sense to you. What seems to be a tragedy will all of a sudden make sense. You'll understand something. They were celebrating the Passover. Jewish people of faith still celebrate this and, and they celebrate these Old Testament laws, these Old Testament feasts. The hotel that we were staying at in Jerusalem, uh, it had two lifts. And over one of the lifts it said it was the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath lift. Uh, but I didn't really understand that. But the Jewish law forbids that on the Sabbath that they light a fire that they cause a spark and there's a whole lot of other things that they're not allowed to do on the Sabbath and, and, and so they, if you push a button on a lift it causes a spark it causes electricity to flow so they're not allowed to do that and so they have a Sabbath lift well Marilyn and I we were up high uh, up near the top floor and, and we get on this lift on the Sabbath and we get in there stops at every floor like it's a slow trip down every floor, it's stopping and nobody's there, it stops again, nobody's there, you know. Like I got to the bottom, I was getting annoyed, and so I said to the reception, your lift is not working properly. <laughs> he said, it's a Sabbath lift, you know. Oh, you know, they, they observe the Old Testament law, they observe the Old Testament feast even today. See, the early Christians being... Jews, they, they still went to the temple. They still uh, remembered the, uh, the Passover. Christians today, even Messianic Jews today, they will still observe these Old Testament feasts today. They celebrated them. But when they met together in their homes, before they ate, they broke bread and they remembered what Jesus had done. As Christians, we don't remember these Old Testament feasts. We believe that the Old Testament feasts were fulfilled in Christ. And so Jesus became our Passover lamb. You know, his blood was shed so that we no longer, you know, have the fear of death. That He is our Passover lamb who died for our sins. The Passover wasn't eradicated, but it was completed. Jesus' blood covered our sins so that the judgment of God passed over us. The Passover doesn't become obsolete. It becomes complete. It is fulfilled. Another feast that they would have in the Jewish people, which they still have today, is the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost celebrates uh, the giving of the law when Moses went up on the mountain and the law was given to them. Uh, today, the Feast of Pentecost for Christians is fulfilled in the giving of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit fell. See, under law, all the time you're trying to please the law. The law is like a schoolmaster, the Apostle Paul says. It tells us right from wrong. And, and so all the time we're feeling guilty. Every time we do something wrong, we're feeling guilty. We're, we're living under this law. It's like a schoolmaster. And, but the Bible tells us 
that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. And we are now no longer trying to live under the law and please the law, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have a new energy, we have a new life, we have a new power within us to enable us so that we can live a life that, that pleases God. And so another feast they had was the blowing of trumpets or the Feast of Tabernacles. It points for us to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the trumpet will sound. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb. You know, the blowing of the trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's pointing when Jesus will appear and take us back uh, to be with him. So what about communion? How are we to take communion? The first church had meals together in a home. And uh, during that time, they just broke bread and gave thanks. But by the time the church was established, and we read the church in Corinth, which is about 50 years later, uh, we find communion had taken a life of its own. It was no longer a meal that was in a home, but now it was a meal that was in the church. And they were having some problems. In the church, there were rich people and there were poor people in the church. And so the rich people, this say this side here, you're the rich people. You would bring your own food, you would bring your own wine, you would bring your own bread. And, and you're over here on this side of the church and you're having a party. Like you, you're just having great fun, you know. And, and this is the, say you're the poor people because we've got the pastors here and the poor pastors and all that, you know. You're the poor you, you haven't got anything. You haven't got any. You're just looking across at the rich people. And the rich people not only were having a party, they were getting drunk. Drunk in church? It's true. That's what the Bible says. They're getting drunk on the communion meal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, it says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. You ever been to a church meeting that does more harm than good? In the first place, I hear that you've come together as a church. There are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper you eat when you are eating? Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not on this matter. People say, oh, let's go back to the New Testament church. <laughs> they have problems back in the New Testament church, you know. At least we don't have problems with communion with the little cups of grape juice. Nobody's getting drunk on that, you know. Hey, we're, we're pretty safe on that. See, the Protestant church really observe two ordinances. Uh, we, we observe communion and baptism. Uh, Catholics had a third, they had marriage, which is, uh, which is probably good, makes sense. But how should we observe communion? You know, there's no clear model for us in Scripture. But in this passage, Paul teaches us why. You know, it doesn't teach us how we should observe communion. It teaches us why we should observe communion. They were having problems at the church at Corinth. So Paul comes along and he gives them some teaching, some instructions. This is why you should observe communion. Take some notes. First one is we should look back. We should look back. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord which I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance. Of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. See, it's a great thing to look back and count your blessings. But Jesus wants us to look back and to remember his death. We're not too keen on thinking of bad things. We'd rather look back and count the good things, the blessings, the good things. Why does he teach us, why does Jesus teach us that we are to remember his death He's not teaching us that we are to remember his life. Well, the reason is that the Bible teaches us that the life is in the blood. See, the blood of Jesus is absolutely the most precious thing that God offers to us. See, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If, If you take away the cross, there is no Christianity. Without the shedding of blood, there is no healing for your body. You know, the healing is in the blood. Uh, I was in a church in Singapore the week before last, and and there they were putting an emphasis on that, that there is healing in communion. There's not healing in communion. There is healing in the blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we need to remember, see, like both bread and wine, it comes through a crushing process. And, and, and so when you remember you hold the cup and you hold the bread and you, and you hold the wine, you rem, remember that our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was born to be crushed. He went through a crushing process. Without the forgiveness of sin, there is no way that as a people that we can be reconciled to a holy God. See, the symbol of Christianity is a cross, not a crown. We don't remember just historical facts about Jesus, but that Jesus was crucified. He's the risen Lord who is living uh, today. And so we look back and remember. Secondly, we look ahead. We look ahead. Look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation is not over yet. The curtain has not been drawn on the last scene. The best is yet to come. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 21. It says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new all of that stuff that you may be going through right now all of that stuff that you may have gone through in the past all of those hurts all of those pains those things that you have experienced in life that you think are unfair the Bible says all of that will pass away God is making everything new there's a day coming when he will return and take us to heaven. The return of Jesus Christ is the hope of the church. We look ahead. And then thirdly, we look within. Verse 27, it says, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Look within. Everyone examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so when we take communion, it is a time of reflection. See, it doesn't say that we have to be worthy to take communion. It says that we have to take it in a worthy 
manner. If you are a Christian today, you are already made worthy to take communion. You, know, you are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are made right before God. But we are to take it in a worthy manner, which means that we are to examine our own hearts. We're to look at our lives. We're to look at our attitudes. You know, is there, are we still involved in some sin? Is there something that, that is causing a, a, a separation? You know, something that is causing us, you know, to keep our head down and not be able to lift up our head and to look up to Jesus. And then we should look around. Verse 33 and verse 34 says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to, to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And so we're not to come, we're not to judge, we're not to criticize other people, but what we're to do is we're to look around and see if we can help and see if we can bless somebody. In, in Corinth, they were, they were like having this feast and, and, and some were getting you know, full and some were getting hung, uh, drunk and yet others were without and, and going hungry. And the word communion, the key word in communion is fellowship. It's fellowship. You know, Paul in verse 29, he even says that if we don't have a right attitude, it can make us sick or even die. You know, having bad attitudes, having wrong attitudes, you know, it, 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 it can, it'll kill us. And, and so we're in this together. Christianity is not just about, you know, me and Jesus, but Christianity, we're saved to become part of the body of Christ. We're saved, you know, so that we can come into the family of God. In the first church, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I hear people say, you know, I don't need to come to church to be a Christian. I can be a Christian at home. You know, just me and God just worshiping together. No, you can't. Christianity is not about you and God. You know, that's just part of the cross. The other part of the cross is Christianity is about you and the body of Christ. You are part of a body. You are part of a family. You, you are to be con concerned about the other parts. You are to examine yourself between you and God, but you're also to look around between you and other people. Are you in right relationship with other members of the body of Christ? You know, imagine the whole body coming together and, and caring about one another, being concerned about one another, allowing the power of God to flow through one another. It is a world changer. See, communion in the early church, it was like a family meal where they would demonstrate their oneness and give thanks to God. I guess it's one of the reasons why I quite like the change that uh, the team have made where they've moved away from. Like you have communion in a big crowd like this and, and sometimes like it's easy just, it's between you and God. You know, you, you're just in a crowd. You're not really aware of what's going on around about you or what's going on in the lives of people around about you. It's just between you and God. But when you're in a small group, you know, when you're with those that you're doing life together, you're sharing together, you know, you're encouraging together, you know, you take it. It's not just between you and God, but it's between you and those in your group. And you're doing fellowship, you're doing life together. You're remembering what Jesus has done together. I kind of think that is more in keeping with the New Testament model than, than in a large crowd. So the issue is not how we take communion, but why we take communion. We look back to the cross and remember the price that was paid for our salvation. 
We look ahead in anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look within to know that we are right in our relationship with God. We look around to ensure that we're in fellowship with other believers. That's the challenge of communion. Are you in relationship with God? You're in a right relationship with fellow believers. Then you come together and you eat and you drink. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for just the call that you have upon us, O God, Lord, that we be a people that are one people. Jesus said, by this, the world will know you because your followers love one another. And Father, I just pray, O God, Lord, that you'll help us, O God, Lord, not let just communion just be something we do, O God, but something that draws us together, that makes us look around at each other and ensure that we're in fellowship with one another. Fellowship with you and fellowship with one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I um, I just want to close this off and round this off by picking up on a question that Pastor Luke actually asked. And it was this question, are you in right relationship with God? It's a powerful question. And it's a question that will literally define potentially the rest of your eternity. Are you in right relationship with God? Truth is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, God loves you very much. He actually loves you more than you'll know, more than you could ever comprehend. And no matter what your story, no matter what you've done or what your past is, what mistakes you've made, Jesus went to that cross and He died on that cross and He shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sin and for my sin. And for every one of us in this room, He's got His free gift of grace, forgiveness for all of your wrongs and a brand new life that begins right here, right now. God will get in on the inside of you and He'll make you a brand new person. Are you in right relationship with God? You might have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but honestly, right now, you're not in right relationship with God. You're far from Him. Or maybe you're here today, but you've never even made that first step to start the journey with God. Maybe you've never even heard about Jesus before, but you're in this room today and you're being drawn towards God. I want to encourage you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a few moments' time. And if you're here today and you're not right with God, but you want to be, I want to invite you to make this your prayer. Can I ask everyone in this room just to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a, a moment out of respect for the people next to you and around you. If you're here in this room, you're saying, Steve, that's me. I am far from God. I need to get right today. This is my day. I'm here in church and this is my day. This is my moment. I need to get right with God. Whether it's for the very first time or maybe you've you've drifted far from God, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer with me. I'm going to pray it out loud, but you don't have to pray it out loud. You just pray it with me in your heart. But when you pray it, I want you to mean it with everything you've got. This is your prayer. Just say these words. Say, God, today, right now, right here, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've sinned. I know I've messed up, but I do believe that Jesus, you died for me. So right now, I turn from my old way of life and I turn to you. I ask you to come in and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of all of my wrongs. I choose from this day to live for you Would you make me brand new today? In Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and every head bowed. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to tell you I am so proud of you. I think this is literally the most miraculous and wonderful thing you could ever do in your whole life. And I want to encourage you to do one more little thing. 
If you did pray that prayer, either for the very first time or you're getting yourself right with God today, what I want to do is I want to invite you to take a little step of faith. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you're serious, saying, Steve, there, that's me, count me in. When I get to three, I want you to lift your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Now, I'm not doing that because I'm going to embarrass you or stand you up, nothing like that. What I will do is from here, I'll see your hand, I'll acknowledge you, and you can put it straight back down. This is your step of faith. Are you ready? If you prayed that prayer on the count of three, one, two, three. Hands up nice and high right now saying, Steve, that's me. I see you right there down the back. That's awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Get right down the back. I see you. I see you too. Anyone else saying, Steve, that's me. That's me. That's me. Hand up nice and high. Awesome. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you for those whose hearts have been turned back to you. We bless them now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that they truly would know the life you have for them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, church, you better put your hands together for those people said yes to Jesus today. Come on.